Well, okay, we're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, which comes to you free every single Tuesday. You can watch and stream us at YouTube. Just search up for Geek in the City. Facebook Live, of course, Geek in the City. But our preferred place is check us out over on twitch.tv forward slash geek in the city you can watch us live you can engage in the chat we try to respond as often as possible when people are live with us in the chat because that just makes it a lot of fun if you're not able to catch us live every tuesday at 6 30 p.m pacific time well the podcast goes up also free on wednesdays sometimes thursdays because you know life happens at times as always, this show will always be free to you, the listener. All we ask is that you please share and give us five-star reviews on any of your podcast aggregate of choice or our Twitch channel, whatever is required. And, of course, please show our sponsors some love. Uh, they're the ones that keep us going. They have believed in us in a long time, just like you have. So, with all of that out of the way, here we go. We're going to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Why, hello, and welcome to issue 724 of Geek in the City Radio. I'm one of your hosts, Aron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Binarita. And I am your other, other host, Cable Hashtani. How's it going, nerds? It's going. <laughs> it's Tuesday. Yeah, it's, it's Monday. It's been a fair to middling Tuesday. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I'll second that. Yeah, I, I've started my day with the American medical system, and it just got better from there. <laughs> At 7 a.m., out past Clackamas Town Center. <laughs> it's good times. I remember back in the day when we used to refer to that as Tacomus Clown Center. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't remember that. It still fits. Yeah. People tried calling it the clack for a while, and I'm like, that's not going to... That's not going to fit. I call it the clack sometimes. Do you? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Transplants call it the clack. <laughs> um, it's like that apartment complex that's between like Division and Tabor on 60th. And they're like, stay in the Tabe. Like, man, no one calls, Mount- <laughs> no one calls it that. That's I'm so embarrassed for you. The Tabe? No, that's, that's terrible. Don't, that's don't, terrible. Don't, like, if I live in that building, I'd be like, what's the building called? And <laughs> No, 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 It's it's not. Why wouldn't you just say the Tabor? <laughs> like the Tabe is weird and like awkward. What's funny is there aren't any actual apartments named Mount Tabor Apartments. Mm-hmm. There's like Tabor on 10th, Tabor on 60th. Our friends live on that complex is technically called, I believe, um, East Tabor. There's one across a mountain called West Tabor, but no, the Tabe. <clears throat> well, on that, should we bring in our special guest? <laughs> yeah, let's do sure. that. All right. Uh, Save this witty banter for that's later. Right. All right, yeah. So joining us now is Portland creator, writer, and artist, Cal McDonald. Yeah. Cal uh, McDonald is an Eisner-nominated comic writer and an Eisner Award-winning editor, best known for Black Ops 4, Misfits of Avalon, and The Stone King. Uh, and today, they're here to talk to us about Murky Water, the newest installment in their The City Between series. Woohoo! Hey, Kel, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Uh Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah, no, I'm, 
excited to be on the show uh and um thanks for reading out my bona fides that's right uh, <laughs> uh did i did i get it right did i miss anything important um, so, uh, I think actually a lot of people, um, know me because of my first webcomic, cause that just ran for so long, Sorcery 101. Mm-hmm. Um, it ran for like 12 years. Ooh, um, I remember that one. Yeah. Um, it's, I have, I sell giant bricks of it at cons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that was a, that was a back in the day, that was a Stumptown Comics Fest kind of thing i think you were bringing some copies to that when you had some hard copies yeah uh i still have hard copies they're just giant omnibuses now (laughs) and i tell people that uh if they don't like it they can at least use it as a lethal weapon because each volume is 800 pages oof wow yeah that's a hefty book yeah I remember, like when I worked at tfa and those giant walking dead omnibuses came out that were like four years of story Oh yeah, I had someone say like, "Yeah, no, my my kid likes these, but I think he just likes to also lift them in his room, <laughs> getting gains with comics." <laughs> Ooh, so how how is uh? It sounds so casual. How's it been going? How's it, how's the comic world been for you? Going all right. Um, just uh, plugging away. Because uh, right now I am an editor at Iron Circus Comics, uh, which is what I got the Eisner for. Was um, you died, uh, an Iron Circus anthology, um, and then I'm still plugging away at the web comic scene, um, writing about gay werewolves in the future. That's my tagline for <laughs> the City Between as a series. Um, and uh, yeah, it's going well. Nice. <laughs> I like that. Just gay werewolves in the future. That's kind of great. <laughs> and you're <clears throat> sorry. This is volume five. That's about to hit the Kickstarters. This is volume four. four. Volume Damn five it. is going up on my website now. So like if someone um, wants to read the whole series before backing the Kickstarter, it's all up on kelmcdonald.com. Um, and so, uh, the way the city between is organized is each volume is self-contained, um, but they all share the same city setting. Um, and so, cause I like to jump around a lot while doing world building. Um, <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, well, I, <clears throat> sorry. I always have a lot of fun with the series because I like, I tend to like any kind of fantasy that makes it all kind of mundane. You know, um, that like, yeah, no, there, there are werewolves and we just kind of have to work them into society one way or another. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it got more outlandish as the series progressed, but I think that's why like what initially drew me to like the BPRD because it was like, no, no, they're just another group. They just deal with stuff that isn't like, you know, carjacking or, Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, no, they have to deal with monsters. Um, and that's always been one of my kind of favorite sub genres within horror fantasy settings. <clears throat> Isn't that what they refer yeah. to as low fantasy, where it's like mostly mostly real stuff, but then there's like a bit of magic, or you know whatever so the case may be. Uh, urban fantasy is if it's modern, and then low fantasy would be something that um, is still like set in the past, but has less magic in it. So um, I think people call a Song of Ice and Fire low fantasy, yeah. or at okay. least parts of it. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and then urban fantasy, the divider seems to just be, do cars exist? And if there's cars, <laughs> then it's urban fantasy. Um, 
And uh, a thing that I wanted to do with the city between is um, I really um, like to pull at weird world building questions. And one thing I noticed is in a lot of urban fantasy stories, the supernatural is hidden. But in our modern day, there's cameras everywhere. Right. And so it must be getting harder and harder. So one of the like sort of background radiation plot points of all the city between stories is that people know werewolves exist and it's um, the supernatural world is intentionally revealed werewolves before the world finds out about the rest of the supernatural because they want to see how humans react <laughs> to werewolves first. Right. Before being like, and there's vampires, and there's this, and there's that, and there's everything else. <laughs> nice. I liked how one of the characters had nicknames for them. Yeah, um, like, uh, compared them to flavors of ice cream. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, like, you know, what are vampires? Strawberries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that just made me chuckle. And then part of my brain was like, like monster cereal, but like, no, but those are different flavors. Vampires are not chocolate. Mm -hmm. Just, no. in, just in the cereal. Just in the cereal. <laughs> just in the cereal. That's true. Um, what got you? Um, wh what drew you to do this? You know, this series. Like, what inspired you to be like? I want to take a break from what I've also been. What else I've been doing and working on the city between. Um. So a lot of how I designed the city between was based off when I finished Sorcery 101, thinking about what I liked and didn't like about making that giant text uh is um i realized that the mundane world was boring me because it was too close to the real world so <laughs> the city between is um i was like well if i said in the future then i can make the mundane stuff more fun to create too rather than just the supernatural side of things right um and then it's also set up to uh as i've done comics over the years Volume ones always sell better than every other volume. And <laughs> since City Between can be read in any order, there is no volume one. So my plan has worked at conventions. They sell about the same rate oh. every volume does. Hmm. I never thought about doing that. That's very sneaky and smart. I'm gonna have it's to also, yeah, a thing that I learned um, while talking to the distributor for Iron Circus is... Um, in the book market side of things, they don't like to number volumes. So even if there is an order to a series, they do not want to put a number on the cover or on the spine because apparently if people see a volume one, but there's no volume two right next to it, that discourages them from buying it. And then if there is a volume two and a volume three, then the person will only buy volume one. So by not numbering the books, it tricks people into buying more volumes um, psychologically. Um, so if you like, so to use Song of Ice and Fire, it's not Song of Ice and Fire, book one, book two, book three. It's a Game of Thrones, a Clash of Kings, a Storm of Swords, right. a Feast for Heroes. So it's, um, they try to sort of, push that if you're releasing something as just graphic novels on the book market side of things um and so i was sort of stealing that idea too while designing the city between so that's hmm that's interesting i have to i'm gonna have to remember that um 
Because yeah. even on whenever, quote, Season of the Bruja Volume 2 comes out, I've been looking at the story more and I'm like, yeah, it is a continuation, but it's still also its own standalone thing. So maybe I could pull that off. <laughs> yeah, you could do like, um, if you, yeah, so if it's like a different title for the second volume, as long as it's clear that they're connected, um, you could definitely pull that same trick on people. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense that the comics would do that since continuity is so important to comic book fans about things. <clears throat> but book readers need to be fooled to pick up a book. Yeah. 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 That I follow all of that logic. Yeah. No, it's, like yeah. once I said out loud, I'm like, no, that actually makes some some bizarre sense for sure. Because oh, um, like, if you accidentally bought book three in a series, then you're going to go back and find book one and book two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I think I had that happen once with the essay S. Corey, right? The Expanse novels. That's mm-hmm. the author's. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I bought and I was reading them in order, but I thought I had missed a book. I forget which one it was, but I didn't realize it jumped like 15 years so I was like, am I in the right one? I don't know what's going on anymore. Sorry, Cable's distracted by a stuffed animal. It's staring at me. <laughs> it yeah, is. It happens. That's Fat Pony. Wait, Fat Pony? Yeah, bring up, bring Fat Pony out here for everyone to see. The Fat Pony. Um, not to be confused with a Pone Tony. Totally different. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to put those in the same sentence just because I don't want to mess anything up. <laughs> That's like a five percent joke, anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, d- yep. Now, now, Fat Tony has distracted everyone. <laughs> Sorry, easily distracted. Yeah. Yeah, that's this entire room, my friend. <clears throat> so you've got the. When's the Kickstarter launching for? The already... Kickstarter launches February nineteenth. So um, uh, this will probably it'll probably be going by the time this goes up, right? Or uh, no, this will be up this week. Mm-hmm. All so right. we'll so have a chance yeah, to link so it Monday, and stuff. Nice. Yeah, Monday will go up then. Um, so yeah. uh, and um, I'm selling all the previous books and also uh, got all my other old work on there. Um, so if someone wants to get the Sorcery 101 bricks along with the City Between, <laughs> they can. I just like you just call them the bricks. <laughs> yeah, well, they're like three pounds each. Uh, both are 800 pages, so, um, yeah, they're heavy. <laughs> it's got to be a little bit awkward to read. You should, uh, you're going to want to get one of those podiums. That That's like literally becomes a coffee table book because you have to leave it on the coffee <laughs> it, it table. It is the coffee and, table. And yeah. oh, flip it and mm-hmm. read it. <laughs> so for anyone who hasn't already read uh, the earlier uh, City Between books, uh, but, you know, maybe they're curious slash interested uh, in picking those up before the new one comes out, um, how, what's your, what's your, I don't want to say elevator pitch because I don't want it to be like a quick, you know. Oh, no, I got the elevator pitch down because I'd sell them a lot of conventions. The first one is Fame and Misfortune, and that is about a werewolf bodyguard protecting a spoiled celebrity. Uh, the second one is Better to Find You With, and it's a werewolf and a veterinarian team up to find a newbie werewolf before a werewolf hunter gets them. Um, the third one is called The Dead Deception, and it's a 
werewolf detective solving a murder. Um, so murky water would be the follows the same werewolf detective from the third one, and they're looking into a murder again. Um, but murky water is a guy drowned in his apartment, and they very quickly find out who did it. But the problem is, how do they prove it when the murder weapon is magic? Uh, <laughs> right. And I know. How do I phrase this? When I when I read these, and I haven't read them all, but I've I've mm-hmm. maybe gone through half, one third. Um, I know what sort of what I know. Say what I don't know. I want to say what your influences are. I see similarities to other works, but what what inspired these uh, these stories? Uh, so I've always been a big fan of Buffy. Um, so I'm a huge fan of Buffy. I watched it when it originally aired and I was maybe too young to watch Buffy. Um, I described it to people like it hit me when my brain was wet cement. So that's in there permanently now. Um, (laughs) and another thing was, um, Carlos B. McNeil's Finder series, uh, was a big influence on it. Um, and then, um sort of the format of reading them in any order but them sharing the setting was inspired by uh the Discworld novels. Yeah. Um, I was going to bring up that sounds very Discworld. Yeah. Um so it's so yeah, it's a lot of pulling from different situations and then uh the style of the futuristic city is kind of art decoy, so I did like look at a lot of Batman the Animated Series art while designing the city, uh, looked at general stuff from the 20s in general. Um, it's like the movie Metropolis and mm-hmm. um, just a lot of cool stuff like that. Nice. I could, so, yeah, and, yeah, definitely see those influences. Um, <laughs> there's something it, that's always going to be classically futuristic about Art Deco and yeah. using that. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. That's smart. Right. I mean, it kind of lets you say, like, this is future, but it's also timeless. Right. You know, just like they mentioned, like, Batman the Animated Series. Like, yeah, there's computers, but they're giant Art Deco computers of the future kind of mm-hmm. look to them type thing. Yeah. Um, so are there supernatural creatures you haven't tapped yet and they're kind of on the back burner and you're thinking, like, yeah, next time I'm doing, I'm doing, like... So um, the current one that's going up on my website now is about a vampire. Um, And then um, I was trying to, I'm trying to think of like different ways that they can interact with the world, but I didn't want to go uh, make them too common because um, one thing I wanted to keep was the supernatural is extremely rare. Like the, two detectives working supernatural cases in um, both the Dead Deception and Murky Water. They're the only cops that handle supernatural cases in a city the size of New York. So that's how rarely they happen. Um, right. And how depopulated they are. So um, uh, I'm playing with some ideas but haven't like nailed them down quite yet. Um, Nice. I was that that that, that got me thinking. I, I a lot of people that write about vampires don't seem to factor this in, and maybe it's because it's kind of grounded in quote real world stuff. So why would you do it? But someone did a whole breakdown about how like vampires would be apex predators, and how much hunting ground an apex predator needs before it starts to compete with itself. 
or with other apex predators. Mm -hmm. And someone broke down of like, for like two vampires to survive and hope to never get caught, they need something like a population of like two million to make attacks look random before people start to figure shit out. Um, Yeah. And so So yeah, one thing I was doing is I'm a firm believer in werewolves are the proletariat of supernatural creatures. Um, and vampires are the one percent. So, oh, yeah. um, one hundred percent. So it's um, right now. Shards of Reflection is the vampire story that's going on, and that's about a newbie vampire. Um, and while all the previous stories with the werewolves, whenever there's a newbie werewolf, the werewolves all kind of jump in to help or try to figure out a way to help. Um, so, like, better to find you with the main character, Jeff, specifically went looking for, all right, these are signs there's a new werewolf, I'm going to help them out before they get into too much trouble. Um, whereas the newbie vampire is kind of left on their own, so um, the vampires usually don't survive very long after getting turned to sort of keep their numbers down um, because they're 1% capitalists, so they don't care about (laughs) their comrades. Uh, So it's sort of once they get to about 500, they're probably have their shit figured out enough that they're not going anywhere, but most of them don't (laughs) make it past 100. Which actually is kind of, I mean, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. And it makes for fun stories and stuff. How much of a, how much background do you write into kind of your own mythology that people not even, may not even realize it, but you've got like a, a code or a, or a world Bible for your, for your stories? Oh yeah, I have too much <laughs> world building notes. Um, some of it is about the supernatural creatures. Some of it is about the more mundane parts of the world. Um, because like I said, making up a new world was more fun than using our world. Um, it's also the world's partly designed around what I do and don't like to draw. Um, so (laughs) there are no cars. Everyone takes public transit. Um, (laughs) and, um, because there's no cars, there aren't suburbs. So it kind of goes from big city to completely rural very quickly. Um, because I do like to, I like to draw cities and I like to draw the woods. And um, so um, there's world building stuff like um, the way their housing works is um, it is illegal in their world to make a profit off of real estate. Um, So if you own an apartment building any rent that you're charging people has to go to the maintenance of the building and the government and they're also required to have a certain percentage of the apartments be free um so you can still own an apartment building and be a landlord but it is not profitable for you in the long run um so there's some mitigated capitalism right. going on. Yeah, forget the werewolves. That's the fantasy element. <laughs> yeah, that's the fantasy part. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and then I have it said that um, ingredients to make a meal are free, but if you buy anything that's already prepared, that costs money. So it's the idea that you're paying for the labor. Um, so they'll still go to restaurants and buy prepared meals, but if and you have to pay for if you get cookies like Oreos, 
but if you bought milk, sugar, flour, chocolate to make cookies at home, that those would all be free. Man, I kind of want to live in this world. I mean, I'll take my chances with vampires and werewolves attacking yeah. me if I, you know. So, yeah, so, so I have a bunch of world building notes like that. But then there's also the supernatural side of things is uh, when vampires eat people in the city between world, they also get those people's memories. Um, because if a vampire is taking someone's life, I was like, all right, so on a metaphorical sense, what is your life? It's your collection of experiences and so um they're also taking those as well as um killing you so it's doing some stuff like that that's pulling at different supernatural as metaphor right stuff. that's pretty cool <laughs> <laughs> um so you primarily like write and draw your own comics is there i mean apart from having total control what are some of the other reasons why you like doing that and is it do you enjoy taking a little break and doing like collaborative work with other creators and then going back to 100% uh, you? I do like to collaborate. Um, I had a lot of fun writing the stone King. Um, I, um, currently am writing a graphic novel that Meredith McLaren's going to draw. Um, that will come out from iron circus. Um, but I've been too busy to work on finishing the script. So, <laughs> um, I need to get back to that. Um, so it's kind of, um, city between, since it's also partly based on what I like to draw, it's a little bit more self-indulgent than stuff that I'm writing for other people. Right. That totally makes sense. Um, people always ask like, how quickly does it take you to do like a page? Uh, between five and six hours. Hmm. That's um, a so usually draw them on streams. Um, I do. I stream on Twitch um, Tuesdays and Wednesdays for two hours, and I can usually knock out the pencils for a page uh, each stream. Um, and then I usually ink the page on the weekends afterwards. So that is a uh, unique. Um, sorry, thinking about uh, all the different uh, people in comics that we've talked to and worked with that's an interesting solution to a lot of comic uh, creators will find it's like they they have to find a way to discipline themselves to to keep working mm -hmm. and so if you're streaming your work to an audience you are they're committing they're watching you yeah exactly yeah that's that's clever that's really smart yeah it's i usually need to wrangle a friend and to co-host um because I'm bad at entertaining the stream <laughs> by myself. Uh, I get wrapped up in drawing um, and um, Twitch doesn't let you play music anymore. Um, mm. If yeah. you play copyrighted music, it will mute your audio. So, um, Good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I bring in a musician to play. Uh, <laughs> but it's got to be original. That's that's why you bring yeah. in a musician. They play their own music or, or just, you know, riff, whatever. Uh, just freeform jazz in the background. Yeah. That's right. I love the idea of, like, live musical accompaniment to drawing your comic pages. <laughs> I'd watch that. So, yes. So, usually it's me and uh, my pals, uh, Alina Pete and uh, Jose Pimienta. And we just talk about whatever TV shows or we've watched or books we've read and mm -hmm. 
just whatever. Um, just casual conversation. Casual. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So what are some of the shows that you're, uh, that, that's taking up your time right now? Um, so right now I'm going through Netflix's leaving soon and making sure I watch all the movies <laughs> on the leaving soon list before they go. Um, so I just watched, um, the death of Stalin. I uh, love that movie. Which is, it's a really funny movie. I hadn't seen it before. Um, it's all about that. And, Jason Isaacs. Yeah. <laughs> and Steve Buscemi's great in it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I, then, um, I also recently, I watched, um, I've been really liking Delicious in Dungeon, the anime that's about, um, a D&D adventure party eating monsters in the dungeon. Where's that on? Is that on Netflix? That's on Netflix. Um, yeah, it's hmm. basically, um, carrying food and supplies is too heavy as they get deeper and deeper into the dungeon. So it's like, well, a basilisk is part chicken and part snake, so we can kill it and then turn it into a fried chicken dish. And um, uh, walking mushrooms are mushrooms, so we can make like uh, some fried mushrooms with it. And so it's all about like how they can turn the monsters into meals and keep their nutrition up. That's just resourceful. Yeah, that's true. That's funny. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm excited that it got turned into an anime. I'd been reading the manga for a long time. Um, so oh, that's how like it started? Manga, cool. Yeah, the manga j it just finished, and now it's an anime. So I'm excited that more people are being exposed to uh, this D&D uh, &D cooking anime. What's it called? Dungeons and what was it? Delicious in Dungeon. Oh, okay. Bex is a fan. Oh, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm going to seek Somehow that out. Somehow that doesn't surprise me. I know, yeah. <laughs> I might dive into the manga first, mainly because I don't have Netflix anymore. Mm. And I need to read more. I was just, just close to getting rid of my Netflix uh, when they like shut down the sharing and they were raising their prices. Mm -hmm. But then uh, there was no option to like suspend the account. So I just dropped it down to the lowest tier. And then all of a sudden I am using it again. <laughs> Uh, I watched a Blue Eye Samurai. Oh, so uh, good! Over the past week, that was really. That's good. on my to watch list. Uh, Same. Yeah, bump yeah. it up. It's really, really good. Very good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, then I also watched The Witcher. Um, uh, after listening to the audiobooks, um, and I like the show, but uh, there's stuff in the books that I wish the show would. Uh, hadn't cut the show's less funny than the books <clears throat> yeah yeah definitely and the thing that also impressed me about the books especially the later books is how weirdly like this i believe like straight polish dude that just writes about super burly grunty grumpy witchers <laughs> writes women really really well he and also like multi-dimensional really and gives them yeah. agency and it's like it just he also <laughs> really really wants you to know that abortion is great and, <laughs> it's um... true yep <laughs> that's probably the tagline netflix can't use the witcher abortion is great <laughs> no. no don't use that uh so one of our listeners um was curious uh how let me see if i can parse this question out 
Oh, okay. Uh, it helps if I just read it properly. How long did it take you to go from idea to creation uh, when building uh, the, the city between? So that's kind of hard because the way I come up with ideas for it is I'm usually working on like five stories at once. So um, I, I've been asked how I avoid writer's block and it's like work on five million different things at once. <laughs> and when you're stuck on one thing, you just jump to the next thing. Yep. Um, so I have like a document that's like what I describe as the seeds of ideas for city between stories. Um, and uh, I just like, as I get more ways to expand that one idea, I th slowly go back to it over time. And part of the city between being able to be read in any order, they come out as I finish developing an idea rather than having this needs to happen before this story sort of idea. Um, so kind of takes several years but that's because like i said i'm busy working on other stuff at the same time and i just circle back to it over and over again hmm. uh that made me think of a question is how do you how do you keep track of it all <clears throat> like do you use special software just like 70 nah, notebooks i just got a big google dope i got a big google doc um that i just write type stuff in and since it's in the cloud or whatever, um, I can update it from anywhere. Cool. I was hoping for a bulletin board with lots of string. <laughs> no. That's how I organize my stories. That's, that's my to-do list. Uh, I have a big whiteboard. That's my to-do list. Um. Um, so a lot of this stuff... I don't know if we've brought this up, if I've ever asked this before, but you seem to organize your world and stuff kind of like how a GM would for RPGs. Do you actually play them or is it just a happy coincidence? Um, I don't play that many tabletop RPGs, mostly because um, I want to control everything. So, um, And if it's a game, then I can't control everything. Somebody's controlling something else. Um and um and while i have all that style of organization like in my notes that would be like a dm um i actually get really frustrated with the way certain writers do world building because it i was like listen if i wanted to read a dnd &D manual i would read a dnd &D <laughs> manual i came to your story to get a story um not world building notes yeah um so yeah i get it i feel like this is blasphemy but that tends to be how i feel about tolkien which is why i will almost always prefer the movies over the books because sometimes it's like i'm reading a history textbook i'm like mm -hmm. i don't care oh the one prose writer i really don't like is brandon sanderson i feel like he's just explaining his magic system to me more than telling me a story and it's like i <laughs> don't care uh <laughs> that's fair he explains magic the same way george r r martin explains food <laughs> all right then 
oh, that dude will spend pages and pages on a feast. I, I, I like to listen to a lot of, like, writing advice podcasts, but I always get frustrated because people keep being like, if you want to know how to do world building, read a Brandon Sanderson book. I'm like, that's, no, don't do that. <laughs> Maybe not. I kind of like yeah. just Terry Pratchett's approach to world building is like, I'm just going to write it and I'll just have to keep track of shit as I go. Yeah. And just going to assume you're going to figure it out. There's not a lot of explaining in the Discworld books. Like, here you go. Have fun. Or or, or if it's explained, it's for a joke um, <laughs> rather than yes. actual world building. Mm -hmm. But that's that's what you see. Uh, it, it, but it just in the Terry Pratchett example, he's not explaining it to you, the reader. Yeah. He's letting you figure it out based on whatever he's doling out to you. But surely... Surely he has a system. I'm not sure he does. And I'm don't not call sure me he did. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, he, it is based on kind of the rule of funny to the point where he says that the Discworld doesn't have physics. It has narrativium. So the power of story <laughs> is their equivalent one. to physics. So, like, so um, it works on what sounds good at the time. I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out like at one point it's like where do i start with Discworld? where do i do and a friend just went here you go like well which book is this nope i hate it just, I just hate read it, so it. Much. like w um, what do you mean it's like just start reading i feel like if you get in fact this happened not to pull the curtain back too much but i feel like if you get more than three or more writers in the room especially comic book writers the odds are they all like terry pratchett and they will spend well over an hour discussing which routes to take if you're trying to get someone into the book series. Yep. And it's as if I, I'm saying I this from exact people, experience. <laughs> I just ask people what type of book they like and that's the one that I'll hand them based on the type of book that they like. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone found me a flow chart and Oh, that's right. You're you're a bit of a completist, so this sounds like hell to you. Yeah, no, it's awful. There's a beginning, <laughs> a middle, and an end. There really isn't. <laughs> Well, there should be. Well, there's an end now because well, dead. Yes. Um, yes. But there's no beginning. Um, and the last Discworld book does feel like he maybe wrote it and then said, well, don't publish this one until... <laughs> you know, uh, unless something happens. Yeah. I mean, that's very well, much him. He, had, he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, so he knew um, that there was a ticking timer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like the last one definitely feels like this was him wrapping everything up. Um, I feel like um, in the Hitchhiker series, Salmon of a Doubt is that too. I feel like when Douglas Adams is writing that, he knew the clock was ticking. But I also feel like he was such kind of a curmudgeon prankster. He's like, I'm intentionally not going to finish this correctly. <laughs> But I'm not going to make it big enough to be a novel, so I'm going to force them to go through all my own notes and just throw those in the back and be like, unpublished ideas from the Hitchhiker's Galaxy. <laughs> and I could see him being like, nice. You know? <laughs> and then one day maybe Amazon will take those and make a series. Yeah. Wait, are they doing that? Um... That's, that was a joke. Oh, oh, oh it's possible. So. I know. That's why I was like, wait, are they doing that? Which doesn't seem all that unlikely, to be honest. But um, yeah, 
the only big bummer about that is that he wouldn't help write it. That's the big thing. Every time someone complains about how like, no, the books aren't like the radio dramas or they're not like the show or the movie. I'm like, here's the thing. He had his hand in all of them. Mm -hmm. So if you're annoyed that it doesn't match the books, well, that's also his fault. (laughs) He did that on purpose. (laughs) Yes, because sometimes writers do understand it's like, oh, this is a different medium. Mm -hmm. I don't need to slavishly say, no, this is too precious to change. You can just go, Oh, no, this is TV, or this is radio, this is a movie. I mean, mm-hmm. I think most authors, when their works get adapted into other mediums, use that opportunity to, to change things, update things. Uh, you know, like Neil Gaiman with uh, The Sandman, there's some stuff that they changed because it was some of the earlier stuff, or original stuff, I should say, was, you know, it doesn't hold up anymore. Yeah, um, and it's yeah. also... It's a different, like, it's a different medium. So what works in television doesn't work in comics and mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the, that stickleriness uh, is really more, I'm going with it. Okay. Uh, it. It's really more the the fans, the readers, the, the viewers, uh, just being really married to whatever version uh, they were exposed to first. Like, I love... Uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide movie, because mm-hmm. that was my first introduction to Douglas Adams. Um, and, uh, and then the radio stuff feels a little bit dated. I, I didn't get through much of it because it just wasn't really doing it for me. And it's... I also think since the radio was episodic, like the movie has more of a narrative structure to it because it's assuming you're consuming it all at once. Mm. Whereas the radio drama, because it came out in little bits and pieces, it's more like, these are goofs for this episode, these are goofs for this episode. They don't necessarily need to be connected as tightly Mm -hmm. as a movie or a book. Um, So uh, I actually agree with you that I like the movie better than the book. Um, But uh, yeah, I think like it's the nature of the medium that he was adapting to uh, what he was telling the story through. Yeah. And I actually would agree. I, I think I like the movie more than, yeah, some of the BBC series stuff. Mm. <clears throat> and part, I think part of it is you have to kind of dig that era of BBC television. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just the style of like almost all BBC shows just from a tech side. It's always off-putting how outdoors or film, indoors, video. It's just one of those yes. little things. Yeah. Um, well, we can't keep you much longer because uh, you have to go stream yourself <laughs> on, yeah. on Twitch to get some work in and whatnot. Um, so, again, yeah. your Kickstarter launches on Monday. Monday the... morning. Cool. I'm going to wake up and basically hit go on Monday. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So if anyone wants to read it in the meantime, it's all on killmcdonald.com. Yeah. We'll make sure we link all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Ooh, well, uh, Kel, thank you so much. It was really great to chat with you. Uh, yeah, thanks yeah. for having me on. Yeah, I it's really always fun, it. and I'll I'll sure I'll run into you on the show, and yeah. you know we can talk I'll about. I'll be at Emerald City. Uh, I, I won't yeah. be, but Uh-oh. tell me all about it. <laughs> <laughs> tell you all about the angry phone calls I've had with Reed Pop. Uh... <laughs> what? I'm shocked. Reed Pop <laughs> messed something up. Shocked at this. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. I don't know um, about a 
friend who has like a $5,000 booth that they only confirmed a week before the show last year. Oops. <laughs> After they took his money. Oops. You know. Yes. So, well, on that happy note. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thanks again for having me. Yeah, you yeah. bet. Yeah. Thanks a lot. A we will. One. Yeah, we'll talk Thank to you soon. Bye. 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 I don't know why I always say talk to you soon. Like it's a phone call with friends. But, you know. I mean, it could be. It could be. Yeah. I mean, at least I quit ending with, okay, love you. <laughs> I've only done that a few times at work. Okay, love you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. <laughs> Was that? What's her name? Okay, love you. Bye-bye. Um, okay, lady. Okay, love lady. You, love you. Yeah. Mindy. Um, Mindy from the Animaniacs. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. I used to have a coworker named Mindy, and I would expl- I would say that to her. I'm like, okay, lady, I love you, bye-bye. And she's like, what is that? And I'm like, oh, that, it's from Animaniacs. It's Mindy. Was that uh, after you asked her why 47 times? Because <laughs> that was the bitch. She's mm-hmm. wandering around town. And why? Like, what are you doing? Why? 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 Until, like, the adult is exasperated and like reaching the point of existentialism right and then she's like cool thanks bye <laughs> that's okay, right lady i love you bye-bye <laughs> mom it's mom mindy <laughs> no I, this is what i would say to the co-worker named mindy and then i had to explain the animaniacs to her because oh, you did know, you just die it had already it had already come and gone before she was born I actually watched a uh, two-part Twitter, not Twitter, a TikTok, uh, like, dissertation about uh, the Animaniacs slash uh, Tiny Toons. Ooh, okay. It was was mostly about Tiny Toons, but Animaniacs, you know, gets gets some honorable mention. Um, And how those shows, basically, like, the, the late 90s, uh, cartoon shows mm-hmm. are like a little time capsule, and they're they're very specific and important to millennials. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then but like anyone who's older than that, for the for the most part, doesn't really know or give a shit because they were too old for it. And uh, anyone who's younger, it was already over, and they don't have the same sort of. Um, syndicacy that other stuff has like original looney tunes and even other weirder older shit like all the hanna barbera you mm-hmm. know scooby-doo none of that uh they don't uh they didn't keep it going mm-hmm. right i wonder if that's the nature of when there was well when originally there was unit looney tunes there wasn't even tv you went to the theater to see looney tunes yep mm-hmm. so in Hanna-Barbera, there were three channels. So it's sort of things like, well, this is our one thing. We got to keep this going. And what are they going to do? Change the channel? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm sure that that's all part of it. But yeah. uh, that wasn't the point of, of the, you know, internet, the social media mm. dissertation. Sure. That kind of sounds cool. But I love doing weird deep dives like that. Uh, I'll find it and I'll share it with y'all. Okay. That'd be uh, cool. Did you watch it when they brought it back? Was it on Hulu that they brought Animaniacs, Animaniacs? back? Uh, I think it was on Hulu, and I feel like I started to, but then didn't really keep going. It it didn't. It had its moments. It felt less subversive and a little too more polished. Not to say that polished. 
it's weird like even just like and maybe it's the nature that this was animaniacs now on hd streaming and animaniacs used to be broadcast and the inherent imperfections that come from any over-the-air broadcast back in the day I don't know, and maybe it's just like the 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 slightly like film wonky snob in me. It's like, well, there's no, there's no grain. There's no. It's just, it's oh, it's so bright. The definition was too high for you. I mean, but 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 Animaniacs came out at a time where I was really into. Um, I mean, probably like you, like that was, yeah. I mean, I'm whatever I fit into. There was an era where, like, there was a solid, like, three block of cartoons when I came home. Like, I didn't want to miss. And usually, yeah, it was... We always had Tiny Toons on Saturdays, but it it would be, like, the the Disney block, and then they'd end it with Animaniacs, because I kind of think they knew Animaniacs also skewed with a slightly older crowd. Mm -hmm. Like, weirdly, my dad and I used to watch Animaniacs together. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, to this day... He still talks about wanting to get a Yakko, Wacko, and Dot tattoo. He's never gonna. But he still talks about it. One day I'm gonna get it. He loves the Animaniacs. Um, I could legally drink when the Animaniacs came out, so. Oh, okay. I was like 16 or 17. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, but the, the trick was, is I still watched Animaniacs. Right. Um, it was on, I think it was on every afternoon. I think so. Um Mm-hmm. Um, At least up here in, in Portland. It was on Fox's Fox Kids block in 1993 before moving to the WB in 1995. Yep. Okay. Mm-mm. Yep. 1995 until 1998. How old did you say you were? When it first started coming out, mm-hmm. I maybe had just turned 17. Because mm. I used to watch it on Fox because I didn't have WB. Yeah, and I turned 21 in 92. Mm. And I would have been a sophomore in 92. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, we were not mm. the demographic, except we were the demographic for Animaniacs. I think right. I kind of was for Animaniacs. Maybe not Tiny Toons, but I think I was for Animaniacs. Because Tiny Toons was a cartoon for kids. Mm-hmm. It's, literally, uh, and, it's literally Muppet Babies. Mm-hmm. Animaniacs, on the other hand, was designed... To look like a cartoon for kids, mm. it was for college students. Yes, it was. Yes. It was definitely like more on the subversive side. Which, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But they aired it like a kids show. Yep. Yeah. The the. But college Gen Xers watched the fuck out of that. Mm. Yeah. At the time, like I was. I mean, I already I always was, but at the time, I was really into movies and like, like Siskel and Ebert. Like I never missed. At the movies with Siskel and Ebert. It was a syndicated show. It played on RKME, Channel 21. In my high school paper, I wrote the film reviews. And the one that sticks out the most, the first memory of Animaniacs, when I realized, like, a 10-year-old's not going to get this fucking joke, is it's it had something in a video store, and, like, the T-Rex comes alive or something, and Dot yells something like, quick, we need to throw bombs at it. And Yakko grabs a VHS copy of Ishtar, looks at the screen, goes, hit, and throws a copy of Ishtar on them. And I was like, that's hilarious. That, like kids, that joke that, is not for kids. No. That one and then the, go ahead, if you're going to do it. Fingerprints. Fingerprints. Yep. <laughs> that, that that's is... one that I'm betting I didn't pick up on at the time, but when I was re-watching them, mm. when they you know, put them back out on, mm-hmm. what did we say, Hulu? Mm-hmm. I was like, 
Oh my god. Because Prince even does like a, he does like a breaks the fourth wall, looks at the crowd, and he, I think he kind of like raises yeah. his eyebrows. He does. Like, yeah. wah, wah, wah. Yeah, he does. <laughs> um, the amount of like name dropping celebrities in that show that they did mm-hmm. was intense. Um, it, yeah. It doesn't surprise, even if you had been a little bit younger, I wouldn't be surprised for you to be a fan of it because it's so. Uh, self-referential uh to the industry right and and i also feel like i feel like it doesn't really matter the intended audience for a show if something's well written it'll find beyond its intended audience like even when it came out i was probably about five years beyond the target demographic for muppet babies Mm mm-hmm but I couldn't get enough of Muppet Babies because it was so well written. Um, and funny. And fun. Yeah, it was yeah. just it was just good. And I think Tiny Toons and Animaniacs lock right into that. Muppet, you know? Muppet Babies was born out of a gag from the Muppets Take Manhattan, from what I remember. I don't remember the that The idea part. of presenting the Muppets as children appeared in a dream sequence in the Muppets Take Manhattan. Oh, yeah. shit. God, I haven't watched it in so long. Yeah. I, I didn't realize that uh, this show is that old. It aired oh, yeah. from September 85 to November 91. Yeah. So I was... Oh, the, I was uh, high school, middle school and high school age when it was airing. I okay. Was, I was a literal baby. I was, you were. Well, that means I was nine when it came out. Um, I also remember thinking, I remember when I was like nine or 10 and like baby Gonzo would do Star Wars episodes. And I remember thinking like, how, I, and even at like 10, I was like, does George Lucas know <laughs> that they're using Star Wars and the Muppets? Like oh, I he, had, he I had knows. a, I had a semi understanding of the studios, Star Wars. I didn't have the connection to Fox. Star Wars was George Lucas. Muppets was Jim Henson. And I was like, and I think I was probably like, does that mean Jim Henson and George Lucas are friends? Mm, sure. I mean, they were. They did yep. a bunch of, yes, they were actually. Um, so yeah, that blue 10-year-old mind me of like, what? <laughs> um, so now I'm really curious because you were talking about how uh, you and your dad would watch Animaniacs together. Mm-hmm. Even, and um, uh, I remember watching Ren and Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead. With with my mom. Mm. Wow. Yeah, which that's is kind of surprising. Older. Stories about you've said about your mom. Uh, we've talked about this. Uh, my mom's incredible strictness, uh, like only applied to real life. Uh, the like <laughs> right. the the like R like an R rating. Oh didn't, yeah. Didn't mean jack shit. Right. Hmm. We I watched anything. Yeah, my mom just had to watch it first. And as long as it wasn't R for boobies, because my mom was weirdly, well, not even was, was like weirdly, was Puritan about that. I could watch kind of any horror movie. And I think it goes back to that story when I was really little and terrified of all things horror, Mm. that she rented the making of Thriller to show me that it's all fake. And then I became obsessed with horror movies. Like at eight years old, I am looking at like some of the most violent looking, like used to call them video nasties. You know, back in the day from like Studio Canal and Videodrome. And I was like, you can't, this is, hard. I was like, but I want to see how they make the drill go through the person's head without cutting away. Because <laughs> by then it became like, oh, this is, 
art. This mm-hmm. is a skill, you know. <laughs> people um, get paid to do this. People get paid to scare people. Mm-hmm. Mm, this sounds like a cool job. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, sorry, going back, it's just the new Animaniacs, I also felt like the writing wasn't as sharp. Um, and maybe in that, I mean, yeah, the original Animaniacs was, was Fox, but it was very much an emblem thing. And oh, like, yeah. It was a Spielberg joint. And this is peak Spielberg, and the little upstart Fox is not going to tell him what to do. No. But I think once we get in the age of streaming corporate synergy and everything's content i actually think it's harder to be truly subversive on a mainstream streaming service than it would have been in the 90s even mm-hmm. on a quote network you know it's like halfway through tron uprising i was like how the fuck is disney letting them do this like this whole show is about how mega corporations are bad and you have to rise up and fight the master control program. And then I'm like, oh, they didn't. They canceled it after one season. Oh, (laughs) okay. When the right executive finally saw it and went, why are we paying this show to badmouth us? What the fuck? (laughs) By the way, if you haven't, Tron Uprising is fantastic. So good. It is everything that you wanted. um, From Legacy? Yeah, from Tron Legacy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what if you've never seen Tron original flavor? You don't need it. Um, all you need to know is that um, the digital universe is real. The grid. And you get pulled into it and you... Yeah, it's... I I disagree. You think... I, well, I, maybe you I do have you, to watch the first one. Uh, need is a strong term. I would recommend watching it. I mean, understanding it's like a cultural touchstone for a lot of people. Yes, but it, mm-hmm. that does not mean it is a good movie. <laughs> it is a mediocre story. Yes. It is very bare bones. It it asks you to go Wait, you're saying this does this? That's not how that Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um like how Tron used to be an actual thing in but computer it is language. Visually gorgeous. The original. Yeah. The original is yeah. visually gorgeous because you're watching this going, how'd they do that? This is the 1980s. What the fuck did you make this movie on? Okay. Um, I would watch it just yeah, for that. Ni- 1982. Yeah. 1982. Now I'm trying to think. I just watched something like within the past couple of months where I was like, this really holds up on a, on like a technology and effects mm-hmm. uh, uh, basis. But I cannot think of... For me, even though it's over a decade later, the first Jurassic Park still really fucking holds up oh, from yeah. a technical mm-hmm. side. Yeah, it does. It's really... To where, like, I watched the final, whatever, the last... I was like, how does the one that came out in, like, 94... And it's not just nostalgia in my head. Like, I watched them back to back, and I'm like, the first one just looks better. It's practical effects. It, it And CGI augmented. Yes. Yeah. It, it's because they embraced both technologies yeah. Yeah. in order to, to complete to there's make a, yeah there's a, yeah there, there's a there's a there's a niche of time where they knew they had the you know the cgi capabilities but they weren't that good and so they still relied on practical for the heavy lifting yeah and yeah. all of those movies hold up really well yeah. mm-hmm. on an effects basis yeah. yeah that original t-rex scene is still terrifying mm-hmm 
because you can feel the weight of the T-Rex standing on the truck. You can feel the breath of the T-Rex as it's exhaling. The, it's like you, you're you there. Yeah. You are in the truck with those kids. Like, like it also helps that, you know, Spielberg milks the fact that it's like, how do you get... How do you get audiences emotionally invested in movies? Well, for most of the general public, just threaten the lives of children. Mm-hmm. That'll do it. Yep. Um, I don't think I was as taken. But mm. it's like, yeah, it's kids in the truck. I don't care. But I was also in my 20s and I was an asshole. Um, whereas now I'm like, <laughs> I forget the children. I forget Jurassic Park and Schindler's List came out in the same year. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> yep. Mm. Yeah, just like uh, back in the day, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein came out in the same year. Hmm. Um, but I have a whole thing about Spielberg. We'll get into it some other time. Sure. I'm convinced that the Spielberg, after after Schindler's List, Spielberg tamed himself more in what he felt. I feel like what he felt comfortable basically putting kids through. Because I think about the Spielberg that has a literal fountain of blood shoot out of the ocean when Jaws kills Uh a child compared to like modern Spielberg. And I'm like, would modern Spielberg had filmed it that way? I don't think he would have. And back then, that Spielberg had some shit to prove. You know, especially because he had a studio that's like, this is a fucking failure. We hate you. (laughs) How dare you? We spent all this money on this shark that doesn't fucking work. Which, as we all know probably is what saved the movie mm-hmm. that you never got to see the shark until the end really you know mm-hmm. um but back to your point um denise yes i i would recommend watching the original tron mm-hmm. um just don't don't expect it to be this massive oh it's this deep philosophical storytelling and it's, it says this no it's no. this it's, it's this fun dude who's trying to stick it to the man and then um, he gets stuck in a computer game and hijinks ensue. Yeah, and it's okay. and it's it's it can't got be this any worse than Ready Player One, right? Oh, I think it's much better, and for me personally, not as deeply problematic as Ready Player One is. I I still haven't watched that movie. I may just for the visuals, mm-hmm. but I I don't. Yeah, n- no one has managed to sell that book or movie to me at all. Everyone was so fucking up in arms about how great the book was, and I was like, cool, let me check that out. No, it's, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it, the book felt like this is every drunk nerd I have to deal with, and this is me coming from someone who often is the drunk nerd, to where even I'm like, okay, man, I get it. You know pop culture. Stop. It, and it's not, that's not the well, no, let what? me. That doesn't make a story. No, like no. Knowing a bunch of pop culture is yeah. not a story. And my other thing is the the main woman lead in both. I feel like the book and the movie literally only exists as the driving force for the dude. Well, like most novels written by men. Um, <laughs> but anyway, back to Tron. It does have some early '80s Disney shenanigans tropes, like. The one, again, the one female character kind of bounces between the heroes and like, I love you, but, well, but he's so cool. And, you know, but like visually it is, it is pretty sweet. Uh, It's pretty cool. If you, 
when you watch it and you go, why does some of this look familiar? It's Mobius. The strip? Uh, the artist. Are you, are you not familiar with the artist Mobius? No. Oh, okay. Uh, he, um, airtight garage, um, Meta Barons. Uh, he's, he was uh, a French artist, uh, Jean Girard Mobius, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, he has worked with uh, different movies and provided the design for them. Tron was one of them. Uh, the Fifth Element is another yeah like the fifth element is um back what's the director's name um luke basson loves um mobius so like the fifth element was his opportunity to go i'm going to make this movie i would like you to design it you know what everything looks like (laughs) why don't i know this artist this is gorgeous i feel like you've seen his stuff before i mean you almost i can almost guarantee it but yeah. yeah i mean yeah in that this stuff feels some of this stuff feels familiar but i don't like nothing stand no singular piece of the of example here stands out as like oh, i know that piece uh, i always what? forgot he did the character designs for masters of the universe <laughs> i um, didn't know that yeah but what's even cooler is he said his costume designs were based on kirby's fourth world shit it was basically like, what if I was inspired by that era of Kirby, then drank a fuck ton of wine, and someone handed me He-Man action figures and said, we're going to make a movie out of these. <laughs> okay. Um, that movie is actually low-key kind of great, by the way. It's not a good movie. No. But Again, boy, does it have its elements. Not a good movie. Uh, Fun. That's the other thing I got to catch on Netflix. The new Masters of the Universe revolutions uh hordak and but fucking kevin smith brought in like gwildor he brought in the live action characters oh okay he's worked them in I'm oh because like, it's season two of yes yeah. season two yeah. revelations yeah. now revolutions yeah yeah oh, so, uh, oh, so that there's a new season yeah, yeah there's a new oh, season okay. yeah i don't yeah. Ooh, i'm not even sure i don't remember finishing the first season did I it really come out in two it. parts yeah it did. they did okay. that yeah. i'm not sure i finished that just like I never finished Primal. People, you got to stop putting your seasons out in separate chunks because I will forget. <laughs> I liked the Kevin Smith one. I know he got a lot of shit for it, especially because basically Tila's the main character. And even when I get into arguments, like, guys, it's not called He-Man and the Master. It's called Masters of the Universe, and she's one of them, like, in the toy line. Yeah. And she's, like third in command of Eternia even in the toy line y'all they're like oh, women are getting da, 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 in the show Kevin Smith's gone woke I'm like also by canon of the toy lines the sorceress is the most powerful character in Eternia that's why Skeletor's always trying to take over Grayskull mm-hmm. he wants the powers of the sorceress yep. that's that's it yep. anyway uh, you're you're beating a dead horse with. I know I'll stop yep um, oh, the other fun thing, the, the Tron soundtrack, mm-hmm. uh, one of the breaking, th- uh, well, Tron and the soundtrack. Oh, I know how much you love the soundtrack. I do. Um, the first major score created by a woman, she was a trans woman, first major score to be almost 100% done on synthesizers, uh, Wendy Carlos. 
The only bad track is that fucking Journey track, that fucking Journey song. I don't remember that. It's at the end credits, but on the album, it's like track three. So like you're getting in because you get the Tron Overture and then and then fucking Journey comes on. You're like, come on, man. You couldn't have put that at the end of the album. Um, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So yes, first Tron. Mm-hmm. Tron Legacy also like that. That's why I feel like Tron Legacy didn't quite deliver. All it did was update what the original Tron was. It's like okay, you've you've wowed us with technical acumen. You didn't make the story any deeper. You didn't fulfill the promise that you were going to make this more into a philosophical conversation about the nature of reality and what these two realities depended on for each other. Yeah. What are Um, they called? The IOs? Yep. The show delves into that way more. Mm. And like why they were so dangerous to what became like the new master control program. Because they were programs that could not be controlled. It, you it could was, do a you could do a really good Tron now if you're willing to honestly tackle the ethical issues that we will continue to face with AI because yep. the IOs were technological organizations that just happened from technological evolution with none of our involvement and they were like oh also we think for our fucking selves we are not programs. Mm. But I don't think Disney's ever going to have the guts to do those kinds of stories. I don't think any major studio is going to have the guts to do those kind of stories. Maybe. Yeah. I just heard they're, uh, they're uh, shit-canning a Moana series to just make a Moana 2. Yep. So yeah. that, I think that tells you most of what you need to know about what Disney's doing. Yeah. Well, even on the... We'll get into it, whatever. But, like, Bob Iger had his big call a couple weeks ago. And he, he basically said, like, we've tried to do longer-form shows based on things that people love and he's like it doesn't work he's and basically he said his attitude was like i know you want stuff original we have to make money and every time we do something new and original it tanks sequels keep us going that's where there's gonna be a frozen three a moana two um a toy story five yeah fucking woody and what's his name like on andy's deathbed what i think it no i think now it's andy's kid and he's trying to convince his kid to enjoy the toys he grew up with instead of your no fang i Mm. you pads whatever (sighs) so well on that note oh yeah i guess we should wrap you should watch tron it is cool i will uh i will put it on my list tron is why i used to always open the show with greetings programs Mm-hmm. That's who that's from. And I will still often end emails with end of line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, on that note, uh, huge thanks to um, Kel. I kept saying, I wanted to say Kess. I'm like, they are not you a... You did. They are, they, are, they are not a weird space five-year-old. She was two. Um, oh, I thought she was older. No. Wishful thinking. No. No. It would make it less creepy with Neelix. It would never make it less creepy with Neelix. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm if sorry. Neelix is in the equation. I am sorry, Voyager fans. Even if, like, if you're a fan of Neelix or a fan of Kess, 
there is no reason that should have ever been a romantic relationship ever <laughs> she would have kept Tuvix because then she wouldn't have had to deal with Neelix anymore she would have had the best of both worlds <laughs> that was a yes that was a pun intentional but also like she was friends with Tuvok and Tuvok oh, was her mentor true. Oh, never, yeah, you're right. Never mind. Yeah. Okay. I, I feel bad for Ethan Phillips because maybe he's a good dude. But based on the roles that he takes on, I really don't think so. Um, I'm not going to say who. What I will say is that Star Trek conventions, there are a few cast members that if they get a little bit into their cocktails and cups at unofficial after parties, will tell you exactly what they feel about Ethan Phillips. All right, well, then suspicion's confirmed. He's as terrible as every character I've ever seen him play. <laughs> but I didn't say that. Nope, too late. Okay. Lock that in. That's right. Geek in the City is not responsible for the comments made. <laughs> you know what? If we're big enough for... Uh, That's true. Come at me, bro. Yeah. I'm like uh, begging casts of Star Trek shows to be listening to any of this. Yeah. I dare you. Yeah. Yeah, see. I got weirdly aggressive. I don't know why. It's all right. Such is the way right now. Good night. Well, I mean, you guys can say goodbye. Are, are you guys going to do a show on my birthday? I guess we still have another week to go. Never we mind. Do have Forget another that. week to go. But yeah. I, I don't, I don't think so. No, that's that's your birthday gift to us. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going to take the week off. Okay. <laughs> Happy birthday to me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so official uh, but that's, updates yeah, that's that true. we will not be doing a show on the 27th. Oh, that's your actual birthday. It is. Uh, because See, are, that's we, why are, we are we saying we... where? Are we saying what you're doing? I've, I've said it. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, Arundran dis- will be at the happiest place on earth, <laughs> and so we will be doing something else. I don't know. Yeah. Yep, that's where I'm... I'm Taking my first solo trip to the Magic Kingdom. Just cool. me. It Very should be exciting. funny. Yeah, it's exciting. Even though the Haunted Mansion's closed. What? It's undergoing a massive, like, year-long refurbishment. But they're also adding, and we will leave, like, the, the Pieces of Eight gift shop outside Pirates has always been half Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. Haunted Mansion is now basically getting its own thing, and it's going to be called, like, Madame Leota's Shop. Mm-hmm. And the other rumor I heard is that they're going to finally start bringing in the Museum of the Weird, which was one of the very first ideas before it became the Haunted, Haunted Mansion. Mansion. So that whole area is expanding upon because Disney's still... I think they finally realized, like, this ride has never not been popular in its 53 years of existence. Maybe we should expand on it. And yeah, that... Ow. So... Twenty is the haunted mansion. Twenty nineteen was its fiftieth anniversary. Fuck. Oh, okay. I there's all. There's room for one more. <laughs> so yeah, there'll be pictures of me just wistfully, is. wistfully just looking at the mansion, being like, "Hello, nine hundred and ninety-nine ghosts. I'll see you next year." Yeah, just, it'll just give you something forward. Yeah. Well, and by then, there'll be the new Splash Mountain, which is Princess and the Frog, no longer Song in the South. Mm. That's good. Yes. Because <laughs> the ride's very and how, fun. And but... how many years did that take? More than it should. Yeah. I go back and forth on Song in the South. 
I get that it's like problematic. I don't like that Disney tries to bury it. It shouldn't have been a ride. I don't mean that. But I always feel like Disney should do what Warner Brothers did when they released that a lot of their wartime era. They put that disclaimer being like, it was wrong then, it's wrong now, it was wrong then. But to just pretend these never existed does a disservice. This is why I'm a big fan of the existence of Superman versus the Japatours. And on that note, <laughs> thanks everybody. We will talk to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.